What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe, and we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's joined us, wherever you might be in the world, whatever time, whatever year it is that you're listening to this show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this wonderful, wonderfully exciting episode we've got for you today. And before we start, we'd like to thank our patrons. Those are the wonderfully dear people who contribute some of their cash to keep this podcast on the road and keep Mark and I showing up each week to talk the absolute wonders of publishing and writing. So this week, we would like to thank the absolutely lovely Tiffany Joe Howell for joining us. And if you'd like to be like Tiffany, be like Tiffany and come to the Bestseller Experiment website to join up as a patron, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. And I'm not even going to tell you what you get. I want you to show up and like have a surprise. <laughs> Look up, literally, I, if we could do the whole podcast on just the things you get from being a patron, but we won't, go and have a look and support this podcast. Keep it on the road, folks. Mr. Stay, how are you today? I'm very good. That would be our longest episode ever, wouldn't it? You know, all that the, all probably the stuff would actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah all of those. And then we could do an even longer episode of all the successes everyone's had of joining yeah. as a patron and all the magic that happens when you when you share the love, so to speak. But Mr. Stay, share you have love. a new you have a new short story. You're knocking them out of the park right now. What's going on? <laughs> well, I uh, yes, I launched my uh, short story Caesar on Watling Street, which is a free short story for my newsletter subscribers, uh, which was lots of fun. So there's an e version and there's an audio version as well so i recorded the audio um that was that's it's gone down quite well people have liked it which is really nice and uh, i'm indebted i'm indebted to julian barr for his editing wisdom on that because it's set in the ancient it's a witches of woodville story but set two thousand years ago during caesar's second invasion of britain and uh julian's knowledge of the ancient world saved me from looking like a complete buffoon and the cover art is by the magnificent andrew bowden who you may recall helped us put together the ebook for back to reality remember those late nights trying to get all that right Uh, so andrew's andrew's fantastic at that kind of stuff love him so yeah it's funny and you know what i've been working on mark i've been working on some very exciting habit-based exercises for the academy. I'm really, I'm, I'm loving the old, I've been looking at habits for many, many years, but I've been using habit building in my own life in the last couple of years. I can tell you utterly mind-blowing how it's changed my day, my week, my life, my mental health. It's absolutely brilliant. And so I'm, I'm now adapting all of that to start to build into a very focused writing habits um, exercises and, and uh, some kind of short videos for the people in the academy. So if you are interested Brilliant. in habits, folks, you know, the academy is where it's happening. If you want to really get your writing habits down, if you're using the 200 word challenge and you love that, or maybe you're thinking of starting it, you want to go deeper, come and join me in the uh, academy and we'll, we'll have some fun there. But 
habits was something else going on. Speak, speaking of habits, yeah. I've for the first time in my life I'm on a diet. Okay, uh, which um, I mean. I know, I know. From here up, I look svelte and thin. You look very svelte, sir. You look like a superhero there. But down here, it's dad bod central. (laughs) I can tell you, and you know, it's one of these things. I looked at myself and thought, "Oh no, do I do I surrender to this or do I do I?" So I've I've um, because we got the film premiere in October, I guess. You know, Mm -hmm. so I guess I mean it's been moved once. It's supposed to be out tomorrow when we record. I know the irony, right? Yeah, it's coming in just before Halloween. So I think actually, if I'm going to do the red carpet, darlings, I I, I want to see if I can get rid of this belly. So I've uh, I'm on a because the habits the habits thing, and I must confess, this is something I've plugged on the on 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 the podcast is you know rewarding yourself with biscuits and and stuff like that. And I've I've just I've been. (laughs) I've been a little, um, a little, a little uh, indulgent. Well, with the rewards. Oh, I've written two hundred words. Stuffed my face with half a packet of hobnobs. So yeah, yeah, I'm. And it's the grazing. It's it's you know because I I I like to get up and then do a bit housework and I walk through the kitchen and go oh biscuit and then you know and oh biscuit and they start to add up so i've got this i've got this diet app when it's one where you have to log everything you eat and you're given a certain amount of calories per day right yeah and you know you're zapping barcodes and stuff like and i'm doing this i'm thinking this is account this is accountability and you know that bit in when the little girl lex in jurassic park and she recognizes the unix system and she goes oh i know this and as i'm doing this i'm going oh I know this. This is accountability. I I can do this. I can actually totally. And I feel so confident that I'm going to lose weight because if I can write a bloody novel, I can and oh, clock the words every day. I can lose a bit of weight. So yeah. love it, Mister Stay. No, that is brilliant. And you know what though? This is the crazy thing. It is the crazy thing. Is that you, I mean, you're a past master at the two hundred word challenge. So you absolutely know you have you have the dna to to make habits stick and get it to work and you think is once you it, it this is the whole reason i've been banging like this is the big reveal now the big reveal is the 200 word challenge isn't just for writing it's like a foundation baseline for the habits for the rest of your life it literally once you get one habit going getting the next habit going is much easier and it's a bit like anyone who's ever learnt more than one extra language you know that kind of idea that if you learn say french and then you go and study Spanish. So imagine you speak English, you learn French, and then you study Spanish. Spanish is way easier because you've gained something from learning French and already speaking English. And, and you know these people in like Scandinavia, hello to all our Scandinavian friends out there listening hello. to the podcast, who speak like 30 languages, right? Oh, you know what I mean? I mean, every incredible. Dutch person, yeah, yeah, Icelandic, yeah. Finnish, it's brilliant. We love you, love you. Norwegians, it's ridiculous. You make us feel so utterly useless when it comes to languages. I love it. But Mm. it's because they teach kids at school early on and then learning extra languages becomes easy. And it's the same with habits. So I love it. Well, listen, join me in the academy, Mr. Stay, because I'm going to be banging on about this for the next... This isn't, this isn't just about, this is a way of life. We should, we should start a religion. That's where the real money is. Oh, I already have. I already have. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? It's called habit. not a joke, is it? That's not even a joke. It's called habitology, Mark. Haven't you heard of it? It's all the rage. Tom Cruise is into it now. <laughs> Habitology. If anyone's interested. There's, and there's no like sacrificing lambs or anything. It's really like, you know. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> no, but it's, I, I, the thing is, the thing I love about habits is once you actually start applying them in your own life, you start to realize just how massively powerful they are. And it's really inspiring. It's like, it's, 
it's it's about compounding. It's the compound effect that we all kind of understand at some level. But until we start doing habits, we don't realize the benefit of it. So mm. yeah, listen to me bang on about this for the next couple of months, mate. Seriously, <laughs> I'm so excited about this. But Can't no, wait. brilliant. And I'll be I'll be I'll be checking in with you. Maybe not on the podcast, but I'll be checking in with you to see how it's going. I've used one of those apps before, mm. and it is quite mind blowing when you get you you get the awareness of just like I oh, cut yeah. down on sugar. The minute I started using one of those apps, I cut down on sugar so much. Yeah, I won't buy here. any any cereals for my kids that have got more than six grams of sugar on the box. That's my kind of like baseline now because, oh my God, it's scary. Like yeah. one flake and you, you, you've, you've basically taken your, your <laughs> daily allowance. Day. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. It's, you're done, you're done, basically. <laughs> anyway, we have a fantastic returning guest who I'm ex- oh, very yes. excited to hear about. So Mark, tell us about our wonderful guest today. We welcome back the delightful Erica James, who is the author of 23 international bestsellers. Uh, she's had top 10 bestsellers like Swallowtail Summer, Coming Home to Island House, Letters from the Past. They're beautiful books. They're loved all over the world. She's received the Nielsen Silver Award for sales of over a quarter of a million for two of her books, Love and Devotion, Tell It to the Skies. Uh, and we've got her back, back, back. She's got a brand new novel, Mothers and Daughters. And look at that cover. That is just gorgeous, gorgeous cover. Isn't it? Uh, and we discuss amongst many other things uh, and also hang around at the very end of the show we've got an audio clip from the audiobook read by Juliet Stevenson so that'll be a little bonus right at the end of the uh, of the show but we discuss amongst other things putting your characters through hell the relationship between author and editor and making sense of the world with storytelling awesome let's dive in and listen to mark chatting with the joyful the joyful erica james erica James, welcome back to the podcast. It's a genuine treat to see you. How are you today? Do you know, I'm very, very well. All the better for seeing you, obviously. <laughs> and I was trying to remember when we last chatted like this. I mean, it was down in London. It was face to face, you know. <laughs> we had, yes, it was face to face. We had tea, we had proper tea in China cups, and we had cake. It was very, cake. very civilized. <laughs> yes, very, very yes, civilized. Yes. <laughs> but here Not we like are. Today, where I've had to bring my own tea. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are we are here we are here erica to discuss your gorgeous new book now i'm gonna for the youtube viewers i'm gonna hold this up mothers and daughters uh which is i think your 24th novel oh look look at that what a pro you've got your copy there um, <laughs> except it, will it be back to front i don't know no, no, it's um, all for- <laughs> yeah, like on instagram it's always <laughs> but what what what's marvelous about this? The the publisher sent me a proof copy, which is just delightful. And the bookmark, I picked up the book and it's got this lovely texture to it. And I look on the back and it oh, says, yes. "Plant this bookmark to enjoy summer flowers," which is wonderful. Indeed, so tell, yes. tell, tell us what am I what am I going to find when I when I plant this? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I cannot take any of the credit for that. That's the publicity department at HQ Stories. Um, possibly Joe, Joe Thomas, who arranged all of that. I've got one too, as she said, spinning around. <laughs> and I think we should leave it a couple of more weeks and then we should get um, planting, basically. Just Excellent. put that in a in a pot. Give this to my wife, Claire, because she's the gardener. I, I Knowing me, if I plant it, it'll be triffids or something like that. So, you know, it's um, <laughs> best leave it to the expert. But it's such a lovely idea. Yes. Um, and, yeah. 
I think there's going to be a plant off or it should be suggested a plant off because a number of people have received one of these books and I think we should all you know, see what grows. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Well, this, this is this is coming, I think, at the perfect time. When we're recording this, the world is in a very, very sorry place. But you look at this cover and there's blue skies, blue oceans, a yacht, there's a garden brimming with life and hope. There's a new path there. But tell, tell us, Erica, tell us about Mothers and Daughters. Mothers and Daughters. Well, I'm uniquely qualified to write this book because I'm a mother of two sons, <laughs> so, which of course means I'm not qualified at all. <laughs> um, but it'll be the sequel of that will be. <laughs> uh, but it started off really, Naomi, the one of the, there are three central characters to the book. Naomi, recently widowed, her two daughters, Martha and Willow. Martha is the eldest daughter and is the bossiest one of the two. Anyway, um, their father died um, uh, a couple of years previously. And so their mother has been in, you know, uh, in a state of uh, reinventing, not reinventing herself necessarily, but living life anew, gradually coming to terms with the loss of her husband, and the eldest daughter, Martha, has decided it's time to take her mother in hand, that they should sell the family home, and uh, that Naomi should downsize. All well and good, except this is the last thing Naomi wants to do, <laughs> because she's got plans of her own, and they don't include downsizing. Uh, and she's worried how her two daughters are going to take the news that she's about to deliver. Um, so that that's... Yes, rattled on there, giving uh, that that's the, the premise of the book, but it's of course then what follows. You know? But this is this is what, particularly with any kind of standalone novel, you are taking what is possibly the most pivotal moment in a person's life. That's what good story is, isn't it? You you take a the you know a giant left turn in someone's life and you you focus on that. And that's that's great storytelling, isn't it? Well, hopefully, yes. <laughs> hopefully, I'm, 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 I'm going, no, ooh, great and storyteller. I know I don't put those together. But I, I just say I'm a storyteller. Um, but yes, that, that's that's the ideal. That's as writers as um, you're a writer yourself, Mark. We know that that's the ideal that we're looking for. And I don't know about you, but when I'm writing, I never know whether I'm achieving that. <laughs> I, I just, I just hope. I just keep hoping. And as you said, this, this is my twenty fourth novel, and somehow I've got away with it so far. <laughs> Do you know? I remember one of the many, many years ago, um, you know, published by Orion. One of the reps took me out on the road. Lovely guy, um, Raymond. Do you remember him? Oh yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Back in the day, yes. And he he said, "You'll be forgiven for writing one turkey, Erica, but not." Two. And those <laughs> words have always stuck with me. I've always lived in fear of delivering the turkey, but and with every manuscript I've ever delivered, I've always been petrified of that. Those words have haunted me down the years. That's um that's such a sales term as well, isn't it? That's that's yeah. typical typical of the sales department to uh, to come up with that. That's really interesting. The the public will forgive you one once, but not twice. So, yeah. and that's always at the yeah. back of your mind when you're writing. Does it? Mm. The thing you write. Well, I mean, you, again, you look at this cover, you think that's completely heartwarming. That's uh, you know, but you really do 
test your characters, don't you? You really do put them through hell. Do, do you take a secret delight in that, Erica? <laughs> <laughs> you know I do. <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing was with the, with the jacket, uh, holding it up again, <laughs> it, it does look, it looks a very sunny natured book, doesn't it? And there are, I have to say, there are some dark undercurrents that run through the book once we've got the story up and running. And my youngest son, my, my genius youngest son, when I was telling him, I said, I'm not so sure that the jacket really does justice to the story. And he said, you would only be happy if there was a dark cloud rolling in on the horizon, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> and I said, yes, exactly. Could we not just have a little dark cloud over here? <laughs> it's a hint of bad things to come. So, yes, in answer to your question, I, I do put my characters through it. And I don't, I, don't, I don't set out with that intention because uh, the way I write, make it up as I go along. I start out with my characters. Um, something, may, something bad may have happened recently that sort of drives the story on or whatever. But, you know, I introduce all the characters and then I sit there and I think, okay, everybody's on stage now. What happens next? Right. <laughs> and I sit there staring at the screen. Come on then, what happens next? Tell me. And somehow it, it happens. And I had written quite a few chapters of this book. And there's a new character comes on, on stage, so to speak. And right at the end of the chapter where these two characters are conversing, this new character asks a question. <laughs> that I just didn't see coming. And then that then had this huge knock-on effect. It's where, you know, the characters just feel so real that they they are writing, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, you know, the, all the characters wrote the story themselves for me. You know? And sometimes that happens and, and you have to go with it. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth, slow and painful. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that question of asking what happens next... Is it often, I mean, for me, I like to try and think of the worst thing that can possibly happen, the worst, you know, the, the most terrible thing to come through the door, the the greatest disaster to befell someone. Is is that always the case with you? Or uh, do you like to be kind to your character sometimes, just occasionally? <laughs> well, it's a mixed bag. It, it might depend on my mood when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> Who's in for it today? <laughs> um, you know, my editor has just read the next book, um, which I delivered earlier in the year, and uh, she she said, "I just didn't know what you were going to do towards the end. I just didn't know whether you know was somebody going? Were they all going to make the <laughs> the end of the story?" <laughs> um, so. And with that one, I know I kept umming and ahhing, but and I'm not saying anything. But with no. this one, um, there's there's invariably there is a death within the storyline. I think I do. I'd have to put my hand up and say, well, you know, I know I'm sitting here and I'm laughing and I look full of the joys of spring, <laughs> but I do, I do know that I, I there is a darker side to me. Mm. Um, it's sounding creepy now. <laughs> no wonder my sons have moved so far away from me. <laughs> one in Tokyo and one in LA. <laughs> um, but there is, I, I feel things very strongly. Um, so that will affect my mood. You know, if I'm watching something, you know, like the news at the moment, which is just so 
you know, it's heartbreaking what we're watching mm. unfold. This is Europe 2022. And, and I, I can feel that that's really weighing on me yeah. Um, yeah. at the moment. Uh, and you know, I don't want that. I don't want that to intrude the book that I'm now writing. Um, but whether or not that you know will affect what I put down on the page, who knows? Ultimately, yeah. I mean, story storytelling for me is is how I make sense of the world. And I'm you know the things that are going on at the moment, the things that have gone on the last few years, which has been you know testing to everyone for it's it's. Just getting those anxieties on the page is is a kind of way of sorting the puzzle into some sort of shape. Is that is that the same for you? I think yes, it's a sense of control, isn't it? Mm. That with with writing, uh, I feel that, that this is something I can control. I know when I started out writing all those many many years ago, I wrote because I was unhappy. My marriage was falling apart, and this was my escape. And by putting words down on the page, creating this happy little village where these characters were living. This is a breath of fresh air, my first book. I could control, that was something that was within my control. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's what we would now call, you know, that was my happy place. Mm. And that, out of all of my books, probably, I mean, it's certainly the shortest, certainly the lightest, perhaps the funniest in places. But I wrote that in my my sort of lowest ebb, you could say, my saddest. That's really interesting because my Woodville books are my happy place and that's a little village. I mean, again, terrible things happen, but mm. it's my escape from the world. You mentioned um, your editor there and the big change since we last spoke is that you've changed publisher, but it has reunited you with your editor, Kate Mills. And that yes. relationship between author and editor is a, is a close one, isn't it? It's, there's a lot of trust there, isn't there? Yes, um, and that that's been one of the joys. It was a huge decision that I you know that I made. Um, didn't have to make it, but I I felt that I needed to. You know, I'd been previous publisher, oh, getting on for quarter of a century. Yeah. Um, but being reunited, or just the thought of being reunited with Kate, you know, we had um, worked on fourteen books together. Wow. So, that, and that's. Quite, you know, that's quite a, um, a long time, um, <laughs> longer than some marriages. <laughs> uh, so, and, then, and also Lisa Milton as well. And, and I, yeah, that sort of put a spring back in my step. And, and, and I think, you know, we all need that in life sometimes, don't we, sort of to be rejuvenated. Mm. Uh, so that, that's, that's particularly joyful for me. Um, yeah. But that thing of because they get to see what the public doesn't, which is the the first draft, or you know the mm -hmm. first draft that at least that you deliver to them, which we often say on here is going to be imperfect, is going to be you know that it's not going to be quite right. And there's a huge trust in handing that over. Do, do you still get even after all these books? Do you still get nervous handing over that draft? Oh yes, absolutely. You know, it's, it's my baby. I'm having to just hand my baby over. Uh, I'm probably slightly better, perhaps. Um, it varies. Some books you feel more confident about. Mm -hmm. than others perhaps some books feel more precious to you um that's not to say that some books it, it's weird it's just that certain books come from 
maybe a different place within size because you're at a different time in your life, different mm-hmm. things going on. Um, but yes, having you know, recently delivered a new book and um, heard back from my agent and you know, my editor that they both love it, you know, positive, positive. But, <laughs> you know, Kate is then going to let me have the editorial notes. <laughs> yep. And that that's the panicky moment then because um, helpful suggestions, that's criticism, isn't it? Let's not be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> hit the nail on the head there Erica <laughs> could you do <laughs> it doesn't matter how they dress it up it still comes down to the same thing uh, <laughs> and um with um a previous previous book letters uh, from the past before my agent had read a word of it I told him what the word count was and he said you know you're going to have to lose 30,000 words oh. don't you <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> if I'd known that, I wouldn't have written all those extra, you know. And then, so I, oh, he and his assistant made me go through it. Um, and what actually, once you start slashing with the knife, you know, it, it, it gets easier. So I got rid of 30,000, and it was still a big book. Um, then it went to my then editor. Um, and I still had to lose some more. <laughs> uh, and it was getting a bit tough by that stage. But, um, yeah, but it was just funny that my agent said, even before he'd read a word, that 30,000 words would have to go. So, And do you, were you at all aware of that when you were writing that draft? Were you thinking it's a little long in the tooth or was it? Was it? did it feel right to you? I knew I had a big cast of characters because right. it was a sequel to Coming Home to Island House. And I moved the story on by 20 years. So the characters I had in the first book, I wanted those to continue. But I also had new characters because the children that had been born in that first one, they're now 20. And I wanted their story to now, not to be the entire focus, but to be important. Mm. Um, Yeah, so that, that was yeah, it was a challenge, but I, I got there in the end. I got there in the end. <laughs> that, that's the one thing I am stubbornly determined, um, you know, that if, if something has to be done, I, I will do it. I might, I might grumble. <laughs> yes, I think, I, think we're all, I think we're all in touch. If it's any consolation, I'm knee deep in edits at the moment as well. So oh, it's, right. uh, I, you know, you have that moment of grumbling, but then you roll your sleeves up and get on with it, don't you? Yes, exactly so, yeah, because you do want it to be the best book you can possibly produce because you you, eh, you don't want to let your readers down, mm. uh, don't, want, don't want any criticism, you don't want people saying, well, it would have been a lot better if, you, if she'd lost 30,000 words. <laughs> so, you, know, you have to, as hard as it is, you have to take objective opinion at some point. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think once you've been through that experience of having had readers give you feedback and whatever, you do realise that um, ultimately they're the ones who take ownership of it and will tell you yeah. at an event <laughs> if it's too long. <laughs> yeah, right, Can give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm trying to think what the worst criticism is I've had at an event. Now that there's a whole other talk that we could do. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Let, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Although I did, I did recently see that you did your first post-lockdown book event at Berry Library. And, oh, and I, I know that's coming up. Yes, is I'm, that coming, that's up? coming up? Yeah, oh, so yeah, how yeah, how are you feeling about that? How are you feeling about that? Because it's it would have been a while. And I know you're not the biggest fan of public speaking, so. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, I'm better, obviously. Yes, you know, yes, yes, yes. To grips with it. We, we all do. Um, I'm sort of nervous. It will be. It will feel very strange. It'd be nice if we have a good size audience. Mm. Uh, I mean, and the library's been very good. They're saying you know, sort of try and manage it incredibly well in terms of you know safety, you know, yeah. um, socially distanced. So that. There is that, and I'm triple jabbed. So hopefully, you know, if, if I'm ill, I won't be too ill. Um, and then, you know, my eldest son, uh, Edward, he you know, he's been. <laughs> I've nicknamed him Doctor Ted because he, he's always dishing out the medical advice and telling me, you know, you're, you're not leaving the house now. You're not having anyone in. Da, 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 all things which I have accepted. Um, you know, and he he wasn't. He's not overly keen for me to do these events because he doesn't want something bad to happen to me uh, and I actually saw a nice little segue about doing the professional thing here taking it back to mothers and daughters that you know part of the storyline is where the daughters have come of age where they're sort of or particularly the eldest telling the mother what to do you know that role <laughs> reversal uh, and certainly certainly my eldest has taken that mantle on he's taken it to heart <laughs> my welfare um he's you know he's uppermost in his mind <laughs> quite right too although if it's any cost i did an event at the faversham literary festival a couple of weeks ago oh, and, yes, i saw that on twitter yeah and i was i was up there i thought oh i've missed this I've really oh, missed this. It's great. I, yeah. I, I really, oh. but that I'm a big show off. But this, let's <laughs> let, let, let's bring things back to, to mothers and daughters because this 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 is, um, folks. It's Mother's Day in the UK on Sunday, twenty seventh of March, and this this is if that doesn't say ideal Mother's Day <laughs> gift, I don't know <laughs> what does. Um, yes, absolutely. Oh well, I'll do mine as well. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you saw Erica. There was um there was a Catelyn Moran column recently, uh, which was inspired by a tweet she saw from a writer called Andrew Mackey, who said that look, we spend three four quid on uh, a card for our mothers, yes. but why not just buy a book? Because you know you get a card, yes. you throw it away, whereas the books you know make a much nicer gift. So will you be? I, I've been seriously thinking about getting people books instead of of cards because you know they last for a much longer. Is that something? I mean, certainly we'd recommend people do it for this. Absolutely. Yeah, we just, yes. Is, 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 that, is, that, is that something you it's might start doing? It's a fantastic idea, isn't it? But then, do you know, if it was me, if it, I, I, I would spend hours choosing the right book for the person. <laughs> um, and then worrying myself silly that, you know, oh, I wonder if they really did enjoy it. <laughs> you know, but they put, put, put the book in the bin like they would a card once they've had it on the mantelpiece for a week, you know. But it, I think it is a lovely idea and one, you know, as authors we should t- take to heart, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, we're all about... We we like to inspire writers to achieve goals, you know, whether it's finishing the first draft or just something as simple as writing two hundred words a day. But you know, you you've you've achieved magnificent goal with this and all the books that came previously. And I saw that you treated yourself recently to a special gift. I saw this on your Twitter. So I, I'm I, I and uh, you treated yourself to a little gift from 
Audi, uh, your local Audi dealership. Now, what most listeners might not know about Erica is you're a serious petrol head. Uh, tell us about this gift that you you got yourself because I'm I'm not oh, I'm not a no. big pet, I'm not a big petrol head, but I saw it and I went, oh, that's nice. Tell, tell <laughs> even you, even me, even me. <laughs> but it's very interesting because where I live. <laughs> My na- my male neighbours have admired the car. <laughs> Females, not so much, <laughs> not at all. Wouldn't even notice that I've got a new car, perhaps. And that's not to, you know, not to be down on them in any way. But yes, um, my postman said, oh, new car. Now, the thing <laughs> you have to bear in mind is this is my third red Audi A5. And, it, you know, I know that I'm consistent, if nothing else. Um, I love the A5 and I love a red car. So I'm, it's a done deal. Each one has been red. Um, and I have a personalised number plate. So it's the same number plate. So one friend said to me the last time I uh, upgraded the car, but no one will know that you've got a new car. And I just said, no, but I will know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to be. So it's not, I mean, I'm not trying to be braggy and, oh, look at me with my new car. I'm being more discreet than that. But anyway, but I'd ordered the car back in October from the Audi dealership. And they because there was a worldwide shortage of chips for cars, oh, not, not yes. efficient chip variety, but electric. Tricky bits. <laughs> um, I was thinking, it's not that much of a petrol head. <laughs> <Tricky bits. laughs> so they said, oh, you probably have the car maybe next April. So I thought, oh, okay, fair enough. And then partway through January, I, I received a phone call saying, oh, good news, your car's arrived. It's like, but I'm not ready for my new car, you know, just <laughs> psychologically. I haven't, you know, and also needed to get the money sorted out as well. Yeah. You know, so I'm not going to find that money back, you know, behind the cushions on the sofa. <laughs> um, anyways, so I then said, um, well, you know, I'm not ready for it yet. And and the girl, she was just a little bit firm with me on the phone. Well, it's got to be, you know, you've got to have it by the end of the month because obviously, you know, right, sales yeah, figures. Yeah, yeah. Sales departments said, oh, again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. So I said, all right, then I'll pick it up. 29th of January when it's my birthday. So that's why it Wonderful. ended up as my birthday treat. Fantastic. Um, so- Fantastic. Yeah, uh, well, uh, we, we hope you have many, many, many miles of happy, safe driving in it. Erica, thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, folks, mothers and daughters, like I said, Mother's Day written all over it. I mean, almost literally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do treat yourself. Do discover, you know, that Erica's world. Uh, you, it's, it's just amazing stuff. It will break your heart, but you'll come out. It's cathartic, isn't it, Erica? You come out the other end feeling Oh, you'll come hopeful. out stronger for it. Yes, what? it doesn't break <laughs> do check it out and erica let's not leave it so long next time let's speak to you again real real soon and um take care and hope to see you out there in the book on the bookshelves thank you bye oh whenever i hear erica talking it always fills me up she's got such a lovely just way about her isn't she she's always laughing and, and smiling and happy and um and i mean 23 books going on 24 now. That's absolutely bonkers. 
Yeah, it's it's she's amazing, and um, I did get in touch with her today actually because the event that we talked about in Bury St Edmunds Library has actually happened, and I said, "Oh, how did it go?" And there's some lovely pictures of her online signing stuff. She said, "Yes, the event went really well. Had nice, enthusiastic audience who asked plenty of questions, which is always a good thing." And I, I, I you know, I did this thing at Faversham a few weeks ago. And God, I've really missed it. I've missed meeting mm. readers and meeting new readers and talking about books with other authors on a stage. It's oh, it's terrific. I, I I'm glad it's back, and I, I hope we don't have to go back to those dark lockdown days. Oh, I, I can imagine, and and most authors anyway. I mean, it's not like we get like, we get let out very often during a normal <laughs> year, right? right? So it's even more it's even more um, a treat, I think, for people to meet. Meet their fans and 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 make that connection and, and realize there are people out there that absolutely love it. In fact, there's a lot of people out there for Oka James. I mean, two hundred and fifty thousand on two of her books, and they only gave her a silver award. What's that all about? <laughs> silver, two hundred and fifty thousand books. She should be getting like a, a gold a gold like plaque or something. That's ridiculous. It's amazing in sales, and that's just like for two of her books. Yeah. Honestly, silver. But I mean, what would you have to do? What what do you have to do to get gold? I mean, what is it? A million? Half it a might million? Be, it might be a million. I think Gillian cool. Flynn. I think we had one for Gillian Flynn with Gone Girl when she hit wow. a million. They there's got a not that many. Or platinum there's, one. there's not that many books that have actually sold. I mean, over a million copies. Really, when you when you look at the stats, I remember looking at a list. I think there's something on Wikipedia. It's quite an interesting list actually, and it talks about them, the biggest selling books of all time, and how accurate mm. it is. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was amazed yeah. to look at how many how many novelists has actually you know sold over a million of one copy. But it's not an easy mm. feat for sure. But um, that's phenomenal. And um, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, Erica's. Uh, seed what was it a seed bookmark i couldn't quite visualize what that was was it you yes, put it in, you, a bookmark that you put into a pot of soil yes i don't have it with me i've given it to claire but if you watch the the video of me talking to erica i hold it up and it's it's a lovely bookmark it's got this lovely sort of grainy texture it's got seeds in it and seeds. so claire's gonna claire's gonna i'm not gonna put it because i'll just kill it but um claire's gonna put it in a one of the pots out the front and you, you get lovely pl- you know flowers or something That's we don't know brilliant. what's in there so uh, we'll hey, report back on that as well maybe maybe it, i'm sure it probably isn't but maybe Maybe it could be a beanstalk. Maybe it could be a beanstalk. <laughs> you get into all kinds of shenanigans. But um, one of the other things I loved about what Erica said was she talked about new a new character entering her her book and asking this question. And it's it, it's it's really interesting to hear that because it it made me kind of visualise this idea of an author who's actually observing the play that she was talking about with all these characters walking mm. on. And it's like, she's in the audience. Erica's sitting in the audience watching it and kind of maybe directing it a bit, but also letting them improvise a bit and let them come up. And so it's, it's almost like this letting go yeah. of control of what's happening in the story, which I love. And I'm sure you probably experienced that now that you're kind of just kind of rolling with a lot of I, your kind of story ideas. I'm I'm going through it at the moment. There's um the, the fourth Woodville book. There's a character who's completely new to the series uh, and I'm just getting to know him. And he's quite a complex character. He's got a bit of a dark side to him, but I want you to sympathise with him. So I've got to dig deep with this. And so I'm just in the process of discovering who he is now. I'm, you know, he's a he's a soldier. He's, you know, he and he's been through some stuff. So it's um it's been really interesting getting to know him and how he works. And I don't I don't think I'll know really get to know him well until that first draft is done. 
and mm. then I think I can go back and you know, and it is it is a bit like working with an actor in, you know, Mike Lee, the um the mm. the director, and he was a theatre did things like Abigail's Party and Life Is Sweet and stuff like that. He spends six months with these actors before they start filming, and they build everything from the ground up. Wow. And he insists that you go out and an acting character, and um, I think it was David Thewlis who was in his film Naked, and David Thewlis plays this horrible man who stands on street corners yelling at people and he made david thewlis go out and be this character on the streets of london and he's doing this he's snarling at people and walking along and and making these comments and they're watching him from a van and sort of filming him for kind of and and then but what happened david thewlis tells the story he says an actor friend of his went, oh, hello, Dave, how are you doing? And he's because he, he, he's like, oh, no, I've got to stay in character. I've got to stay in character. But this person kept persisting. No, what's, what's up? You're really angry. What's wrong with you? What's going on? And in the end, he said, go away. And Mike Lee's in a van over there to break character, you know. But anyway. Love it. That's by the by. Um, but that, that thing of, you know, you, I think thinking you can just, you know, oh, there's a character. I mean, occasionally characters do come along fully formed, but you've still got to get to know them through the process of that first draft, I think. But allowing, just, but, yeah. but allowing that space for them to show up as well. I love it. I think it's, yeah. I think there's definitely, yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's a kind of, there's a middle way. There's a magic between, you know, guiding yourself a bit if you wanted to, to kind of have a, a rough kind of plot of where you're heading, but then allowing, be open to everything um, and expect, expect nothing in, you know, always be open to what might show up yeah. in the moment yeah. and, and be, be yeah. willing enough to roll with it if it takes you by surprise or you get fascinated by it. I think it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant approach. And obviously Erica knows what she's talking about because she's mm. done this a few times before. And so this is what I love about interviewing authors who've, who've, who've written so many successful books. Like there's, there's success leaves clues, folks. You know, there's magic in in the words. You know that, that we heard Erica speaking about. Um, the other thing that she mentioned as well. well I, was, I, I, sorry, I, I picked. I, I, sorry, just to say, I picked up the proof. I opened a couple of pages and flicked through it, and she does have this. Ma- and do pick up one of her books and have a look. She do. She does have this magical way of just. Oh, I know exactly who that is. That character. Mm, they mm. they they do on the. Obviously, she's worked hard to get there, but on the page, they they feel very very real. Anyway. As you were. And talking of real, actually, one of the, the other points I was really interested in talking about was the fact that you kind of alluded to how real life events can affect your writing. Now, we talked about this last week specifically around, COVID, you know, should we write yeah. COVID in? Should we have yeah, our yeah. characters with masks? But this is a different take on it. This is how it affects us as writers, like our the state of mind that we go into. Like mm-hmm. if, we, if if the world is, is falling apart, you know, is that ref- is that suddenly reflected in our book because we're feeling heavy before we even sit down to write? And and I think that's a really important, you know, point to jump in on because I think, I, I can't think we, I mean, yeah, we can probably put a lot of things aside, but on one level, you do probably pull into your writing a lot of what you're currently personally experiencing, you know, whether it's personally or around you in the world. Well, that's it. I mean, this is, this story, this is the thing of storytelling is making sense of the world, at least that, that's what it is for me. But I, I run it. I mean, you got the thing. The process is my escape. That's my happy place. I come down here first thing in the morning and I write for a couple of hours and I'm that door is shut and the rest of the world does not exist. Uh, I'm in that little village with those characters having fun with them. But what I bring with me into the room is, you know, what I'm going through at the moment, what I've seen and those things that are troubling me. And I put them on the page and try and make sense of them and try and put them into some sort of order and tell a story that, hopefully 
will connect with other people as well. Mm. So it is um, there's an escapism in writing, but the writing has to have that that kind of human truth to it, that that kind of um, human reality to it. Uh, I, I mean, you know, Erica talked about this. The cover of this book is bright. It's inviting. It, you might think, oh, this is going to be a bit of fluff, but no, she she goes to some very very dark places. She was saying, mm. can't we just put a cloud on the cover on the horizon? Right. <laughs> Which is funny because when you when you listen to Erica, when you listen to hear her voice, and you hear how you know upbeat she is and joyful, it's but that, that's also something that um, John York talked about, didn't he? A lot that yeah, yeah. everyone has a dark side. That there's, oh, yeah. there's there's that kind of like yin and yang for every single person in the world, and I think it's. Um, it's fun to play with that, but it's also fun to kind of know that that is real. You know, it doesn't matter how positive you might be. You're always going to have down days, no matter how negative you are. You will have some good days as well, right? Um, the other thing she mentioned, which was really interesting, yeah. was this idea of moving, you know, moving back to an editor that she had previously worked with. And it and it really struck me, you know, yes. I look back on a lot of the creative things that I've done. It, it really makes me realize just how much an author and editor are actually like a partnership. A lot of people think, well, do you need an editor? But mm. I, I personally look back at my kind of creative exploits in my life so far. And I look at like my music and I had the most success and I had the most enjoyment when I worked with, um, with, with my, with my music partner, Ian in urban myth club, that was a duo. It was the two of us. Mm. We worked together, we bounced ideas off. And then I look at this, like the podcast, me and you, here we are like bouncing, you know, it would be it. it and then when you get an editor, it makes you realize that, especially if you build a relationship with them over time, they really start to know you and you, mm. you start to understand each other. And I think yeah. a lot of people haven't probably ever experienced that. Is that mm. something you've experienced in terms of editors? Because oh, you absolutely, absolutely. No question. I mean, I am um, with Robot Overlords. I had uh, Gillian at uh, Golance who I knew personally and knew I could trust her. There was complete trust there. Mm. Um, and at uh, Simon & Schuster, I've got Bethan who... I, again, I worked with, I knew her at Orion, but so there's, you know, there's a great level of trust there. Now, what was interesting, the the editor who signed me was an editor called Anne Perry, and we really clicked, we really got on, she loved the books, but then during lockdown, she had the opportunity to become an agent, so she'd left. And there was that moment where I was thinking, oh no, am I going to be lumbered with someone that does, because I had this with an agent once, I was with an agent who had to move on to other things, and I got passed down to a junior agent who I think actively hated me. <laughs> it was just one of these things where you think, "Oh no, they don't, they don't get me at all," you know. So um, I thought, "Oh, who am I going to get?" And then Bethan's name was, and I was so relieved because I know I knew Bethan. A is a wonderful human being, really passionate about her authors. Because when I worked at Orion, I was the Amazon account manager, and she was constantly coming over saying can we do this with Amazon? Can we do that? And let's check the sales. She was really on it. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is, and she gets the books and that relationship is great. For my short stories, I won't go to anyone but Julian Barr now. And for any indie stuff, I will go to Julian because Julian already, even just a few short stories in, is well aware of all my bad habits already. <laughs> <laughs> and no doubt willing to remind you of them, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, and same one. with same with Andy doing the covers for the short stories. I have a shorthand with Andy now, yeah. and it is that thing. Very early on in the podcast, we we spoke to authors about building a team because mm. you know this is a solitary thing. I do come in here on my own, I close the door, and but 
when you're putting it out there, you've got a team of people that you trust out there. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. But you will find your own team of people who will, you know, help you get through the tricky bits. Well, that's the other thing. As, that's the know. other thing as well that I think people forget is that this is also a process of discovery. Mm. You know, it's okay to go through a couple of different book designers, a couple of different editors. But the more of this that you do, the more you find the people that you click with, you know, like, you know, it's almost a bit like dating in some ways. You're trying to find the people that yeah, yeah. That, that you're going to have a, a wonderful experience with rather than just a kind of professional relationship and it's all over. But you actually get each other. You get each other as human beings. You yeah. understand each other's foibles. You can support each other through through the rough times and celebrate together during the great times. So, um, and, and in a lot of the coaching I do, and I've talked about this in the academy as well, about this idea of a dream team. It's like, you know, you have to, you have to kind of identify who's missing in your life and create the job vacancy for them. Like, even if it's just an imaginary mm -hmm. title, so they'll come into your life, you know, you become aware that you need that person and you want a specific kind of person as well. It's not just like any old editor, it's the right editor for you. Um, so it, it, this is really important because like you say, it's a solitary business, the writing part of it, but everything else, everything else you can't do alone. You can't, I mean, you can't, you could just stand on a street corner and try and sell your book, I guess, but we need, you know, we need bookshops, we need websites, we need publicists, we need editors, and the list goes on and on. We need readers. I mean, and this readers is, this help. Is, this, this comes they, back to the... They the really live, do help, the, don't they? The, you know, the live event. Uh, yeah, they do. They really do. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just shouting into a void. I but know, yeah, right? I mean, the live event thing, you know, going there, meeting new readers, yeah. getting them on board. Um, your newsletter... You know, you yes. have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with them. So it was great sending out the um, the newsletter with the free short story because my newsletter, I've invented a fictional character called Araminta Cranberry, who's the librarian mm. of Woodville Village Library, and she sends out the newsletters. People have started replying to her in person. It's fantastic. It. Uh, they're all in on the joke. They're yeah, all yeah. like, you know, if you see Mr. Stay, will you tell him so-and-so and so-and-so? And I reply in character. And it's great. <laughs> I love it. But it's that thing of nurturing those readers who, you know, are in on the joke and, and part. And you, know, and you see those authors um, who have uh, these, you know, people have set up Facebook groups about them. Uh, I, I got invited to a Ben Aronovich one recently, and it's great because mm. it's all fans of Ben talking about his books and all the things around them, you know. So it's one of these things, again, we've talked about when you know you've arrived. And you I know you've, you've made it when, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's one of those things, I think. It's, cosplay uh, yeah. cosplay in your very own Facebook group. Facebook group, yeah. It's yeah. Not, set up, <laughs> not set up by yourself as an author, but some, some raving yeah, fan some, of yours who yeah, just exactly. loves... Yeah. Oh, we don't actually have a uh, we don't have a bestseller experiment fan group, do we? Well, well what we, we do have do, what do. we do what we do have is the unofficial bestseller experiment readers reading group. readers group yeah. reading group yeah which I, I knew nothing about ironically I, I one day <laughs> discovered it like what what what's this what's this yeah. so uh, if you want to if you want to sign up to that folks it's uh, I'll put a link in the show notes you can check that out and they they interview members of the, our Facebook group and the academy. Uh, when they have a book out, and there's a Brilliant. nice little archive of video interviews there. We're definitely oh, checking out. Such a great community. Such a great mm. community. Talking of great community, Mr. Stay, what's been happening on social media this week? We've had some, well, that your 99p rant has um, kicked things off. I can Did tell it? you that. <laughs> I mean, again, on the VXP group, it's, it's, it's one of those arguments that I don't think will ever be solved. There's a definite divide. I mean, obviously, these promotions can make a huge difference. And certainly, 
you know, uh, if you do this right, it can you, you can be off to the races. Um, but I, yeah. I, I think for, your point well, for anyone that missed it, for anyone missed it last week, <laughs> we should probably just explain that I went off on one and had a rant about ninety nine p books and how we're totally undervaluing ourselves as authors by selling it. But but what was the response like, Mark? What was the response like? Uh, it was it was um, quite divided, quite divided. But I think uh, there is. It's interesting. I think the indie authors are much more pro ninety nine p because it is that thing of you have a lost leader, but then the other books are priced. So I think you're. I think one of the things you were ranting against was everything at ninety nine p is a bad idea because it devalues everything. But I think you know if you have that kind of leading thing. But we got a wonderful email from Darren James. Um, who uh, check out De- Darren at soulcat.co.uk and Darren got in touch and uh, she said I've just listened to your latest podcast episode and hope I'm not too late to the party with my two cents um, she says it was a perfect episode for me as I'm about to launch the paperback of my first book Soul Cat so it got the creative juices flowing for ideas uh, my book is cat themed and my launch event was going to be in my local cat cafe but after months of planning it fell through gutted wasn't the word so I'm doing it in my local indie bookshop who are awesome so that brilliant but i've got a month to market it uh and she says um i'm joining in the the 99p debate i launched my book on kindle at christmas and i started with a promotional rate of 199 raising it to 399 in the new year my book took me eight and a half years to write it includes photos and beautiful commissioned illustrations so the thought of selling it for 99p is kind of sickening it may not be the greatest literary work but as you pointed out the amount of effort that goes into completing a book deserves much more than the price of half a coffee i love the point made about mother's day cards being more expensive than a book and that's something we spoke about with erica as well i'm now considering adding book plates as a limited gift edition of soul cat i also love the tip idea and wonder how many people would actually go to your website to leave a tip for a book they've paid 99p or 199 for uh, i hope you're having a fab weekend i'm off to finish the poster for my book launch and start getting the word out so good luck with that darren go to folks go to soul cat .co.uk, there may be a gift edition there now. You I love know, it. So, I love it. Yeah. And and interestingly, cat cafes, I've seen one of those. We've I got walk- one in Herne Bay. Oh, We've got one in Herne I, Bay. I was in San, uh, where was I? San Francisco? No, Seattle. That's right. I was in Seattle walking down one of their very, you know, sharp, uh, steep streets. And I walked past this, like it just had windows and I peered in. And I was like, what is going on in there? I had, 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 had nothing on the, on the front, so I didn't know what it was. And I'd never even heard of one before then. Absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I mean, how would you describe it to people who've never experienced a cat cafe before? Well, I don't know. I'm allergic to anything with four legs and fur, so it's a living nightmare for me. I can imagine. I I couldn't go in there. I couldn't do it. Uh, but uh, following on as well, do you remember you you had the idea of putting in a, a sort of a, a tipping sheet? So yeah. uh, so uh, Ivan Wainwright got in touch. He said, after listening to your latest bestseller ex- episode, I was inspired to create some free book plates people can download and put inside my novel to give as a Mother's Day gift. Uh, so if you want to check those out, go to Ave ivanwainwright.com and he's got beautiful mother's day book plates so yeah people this is really taking off and on a slightly different tack and i've only i just want to plug this because it's so much fun and uh a friend of the podcast and member of the bxp team uh gavin g smith uh who writes fantastic uh really you know great science fiction uh, with a kind of a military bent to it as well and i he was on a podcast recently uh called authorized novelizations podcast talking about Alan Dean Foster's uh, novelization of Aliens. If you're an Alien or Aliens fan, oh my God, this is catnip. I'm talking about cats. Cat, total catnip. I had so much fun listening to this. It's re- um, Novelizations are one of my, you know, 
I could do specialist subject on that uh, mastermind. So Gavin is so much fun on that. So do check that out. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Well, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And to everyone who's interested in continuing the debate of the 99p, tell us your successes. <laughs> tell us your rants. You know, join me in, in ranting and starting a campaign to say books should be not priced at less than $4.99. Let's all get that <laughs> price up there. But also, also, you know, I'm really curious to, to, to find out about people who are going to try this tipping idea. Like, uh, So the basic idea is, is you, 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 put, you put a... Um, a kind of a tip page on your website for every book that you create and you just stick up a PayPal box or whatever. I mean, it's you know, just whatever that takes money and then, and then put it in your book, say at the bottom and last page of your book as inspired by the bestseller experiment. If you've enjoyed bestsellerexperiment.com as you've, if you've enjoyed this book and you feel that, uh, you know, and you bought it on promotion or you, you know, or you feel it's worth more, please support my future books by sending me a tip. A lot of authors are doing that. Yeah. So, you know, I see authors saying, look, I've got a Kofi account. If you want to tip, if you feel like, I, you know, I've been, you know, just, and it's, it's, you know, it's unlike Patreon, which requires, you know, regular Signing donations up. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. You can just, you can just uh, bung a few quid yeah. in. So I do, I, I don't know how successful well, anyone is on that. Is it pennies if, or pounds? If anyone if, out there is doing have it. Have you ever you know, seen it though know. in the back of a book? I've never actually seen it in a back of a book where someone's actually had a, a tip page where they've actually, because I think that's the key. I think you've got to get somebody, if they've got to the end of your book, they'll see that page, which means they've read your whole book. I, yeah. I you know, unless they're one of those cheeky people that go to the last page and they read it first, which I know some people do and I don't get that. That's another rant. But anyway, um, putting that aside, it's like you get to that tip page and, you know, if somebody's finished your book and they've had this wonderful journey with you as an author, that's the time where they might feel, you know what, I'll just go like put a QR code in there and let them just scan it with their phone and they might chuck in a couple of quid. The thing is, I'm I'm doing a similar thing. I've done a similar thing with music for a number of years. There's a band. There's a site out there called Bandcamp, and the oh, way yes. Bandcamp works is great. You can buy the album. You can download. You know, high resolution, high resolution, high high quality like WAV files. They call them. Actually, if you want to go check out Urban Myth Club on Bandcamp, you can go and see what we're doing there. But what the really nice thing is is that when you actually purchase the album, it says a minimum. You know, it's a minimum of I think seven ninety nine. And I cannot begin to tell you, Mark, over the years, the amount of people who've put in more than seven ninety nine. There was one chap once that paid, he just chucked in 30 bucks. He thought, yeah, I want to support these guys. And he paid $30. So you just never know. And so mm. people are genuinely, I mean, people really do genuinely support the creative arts. And I think if someone becomes a fan of yours and they really want you to keep writing, things like that can really encourage you as an author. So if you're a reader, you know, why not think about doing that? Why not just email your favorite author and say, you know, I really enjoyed your book. I only paid $2.99. It's not worth that at all. It's worth at least $10. I want to send you some money. How can I do it? And see if you get a response because, you know, it works both ways as well. Um, so anyway, something to be continued maybe over the rest of this year. A nice theme to play with. Very good. Very good. Excellent stuff. Um, Mr. Stay, I think we're coming towards the end of this show. Is there anything else you wanted to share on social media or... No, social media is all good. If you want to get awesome. in touch, folks, drop us a line. Uh, we're at, as as Darren did uh, via email. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's an email, our contact tab there. On Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. Please subscribe on your podcatcher. Don't ever miss it. I'll tell you what, I've been I've been recording interviews. We've got some cracking interviews coming up. Uh, really, really good stuff coming up. So do not miss out. Oh, and Mr. D, you know you asked for. 
um, authors uh, that people want to uh, get on the show. We've had a few of those already. I've put feelers out there. I've, mm. I've you know, I've emailed people. So Great. we could be getting some really, really interesting guests on the show as well. Um, but hang around. At the end of this podcast, we've got a clip of the audiobook of Mothers and Daughters, read by none other than BAFTA nominee and Olivier Award-winning actor Juliet Stevenson, who you'll wow. know from films like Truly Madly Deeply. So uh, that's a little bonus this week, so hang around for that. Brilliant stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mark. It's absolute pleasure as always. And if you would like to nail down your habits, come and join Mark and I at the Bestseller Academy you, it's lifelong, life, lifelong benefits, folks. Lifelong benefits. Um, Academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. It will revolutionise and change your writing life, and you will also also get to hang out with some of the coolest, funnest, most inspiring writers out there. Because you yeah. know what? They're all there. They've all they're all attracted to what we're what we're like putting cool out kids. there right now, and it's great. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. So come and join us there. And if you would like to just get started on the very first habit you should all be doing, two hundred words a day. It's the two hundred word challenge um, Join the newsletter by coming to the website bestsellerexperiment.com and clicking on the newsletter tab, and you'll get an update every week about what our new episode is about. So, Mr. Stay, have a fantastic week. You too, sir. Abatology starts here. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, listen out for the uh, audio clip following the music. All right, folks, have a great week, and it's a goodbye from Mark One and a goodbye from Mark Two. Goodbye. Goodbye. Chapter 1. Martha made sure the bathroom door was firmly shut. Which was stupid. The door was either shut or it wasn't. Just as there were no degrees of being pregnant, you either were or you weren't. And that was something she knew all about. The not being pregnant part, that was. She was all too familiar with that state of affairs. Opening the package which she had bought on the way home, she followed the instructions to the letter. Not that she needed to read the leaflet contained within the small box. She knew what she had to do. Afterwards, and while counting the seconds away in her head, she flushed the loo, then washed and dried her hands. When she'd reached 120, she added on an extra 30 seconds in the hope they would make all the difference. They didn't. As before, the appearance of the minor sign told her that once again she and Tom had failed in their attempt to create a baby. This time she had really thought it might happen, that she was pregnant. She had convinced herself that this month she felt different, that her body was already nurturing a tiny speck of miraculous life. But it was just a cruel false alarm, or no more than a case of wishful thinking. Cross with herself for putting too much store in being eight days late, for allowing her hopes to be raised, she stared at her face in the mirror above the basin. Too soon to panic, she told herself. She was only thirty-five. There was plenty of time yet for her to become a mother. The important thing was to remain relaxed about it. Anxiety, she reminded herself, would only make things worse. Besides, she wasn't the worrying kind. She was Martha Adams. 
cool-headed and practical Martha. Efficient Martha. Reliable Martha. As Dad used to say of her, if you needed a steady pair of hands, then Martha was your girl. Pep talk over, the disappointment in her face now replaced with a determined smile. She put the pregnancy kit back inside the chemist's bag, screwed it up, and put it in the bin under the basin in the marble-topped vanity unit. She then scraped her shoulder-length dark hair back into an obedient ponytail. Mum had described her hair that way when she'd been a child. You're lucky to have such obedient hair, Martha, she would say while brushing it ready for a day at school. It's so perfectly thick and straight, it will always do what you want it to do. In contrast, her sister, Willow, had baby-fine blonde hair that had a careless way about it. As a girl, Willow's plaits had nearly always worn themselves loose by the time the lunchtime bell rang. Downstairs in the kitchen, Tom was chopping onions with an ostentatious dexterity he had learned while on a cookery course Martha had given him for his 40th birthday earlier that year. An avid fan of MasterChef, he never missed an episode. He loved to cook. He read cookery books the way most people read novels, devouring them page by page, word by word. There's a bottle of wine open in the fridge, he said, tipping the onions into a large ceramic frying pan. When she'd poured out two glasses of Cloudy Bay, Martha asked him how his day had gone. Oh, you know, same old, same old, for a Monday, he said, deftly crushing a garlic clove beneath the blade of a knife by banging it with his fist. How about you? She tried to think back to her day in the office before she came home with the pregnancy test kit and the day was ruined. Before that small seed of hope that had taken root in the last few days was ripped from her. Before she felt... Well, never mind all that. A bit like yours, she said with a shrug. Same old, same old. He smiled and added the garlic to the frying pan. Pass me those mushrooms, will you? She did as he said, then sipped her wine. Her friends and family said she was lucky to have married a man like Tom, a man who was the perfect embodiment of patience and so handy in the kitchen. They were right. She was lucky. A previous boyfriend had dumped her with the damning criticism that she was too organized and sensible. She didn't think she'd ever felt more insulted, but had then rallied with the acknowledgement that she was who she was, and that was that. Amazingly, Tom loved her for just that reason. If I wanted an impractical and empty-headed girlfriend, I wouldn't now be sitting here with you he'd said when she'd warned him what she was like on their third date. She hadn't seen any point in things progressing between them if he was hoping to discover that hiding beneath the tough exterior there was actually a hopelessly incapable girl longing to have her life organized by a strong man. There really wasn't. As for how she felt about Tom, she loved him with her head as much as her heart. She loved that he regarded the two of them the way she did, as an equal partnership, a strong team that together could face any challenge thrown at them. 
Their life goals were probably the same as most people's. The desire for a fulfilling work life, combined with having children and a nice home. Two of those things they had accomplished with relative ease. It was just the small matter of conception they had yet to achieve. What are you making? she asked. Mushroom risotto topped with a sprinkling of toasted walnuts and a drizzle of walnut oil. That okay with you? More than okay. Do you want a salad to go with it? Or what about some kale? Feeding her with good, wholesome food was Tom's way of preparing her body for creating and carrying a new human life. He regularly scoured the internet for the latest superfoods that would aid their ability to have a child. Cutting out alcohol should have been on the list of do's and don'ts, but they had both agreed a glass or two on alternate evenings would help them relax. Of course, the moment Martha became pregnant, she wouldn't dream of touching alcohol. Poor caffeine, poor soft cheese, and whatever else was deemed harmful. If there was one thing she was good at, it was abiding by rules. She was a stickler for rules. She was pretty good at making them, too. Thou shalt not break my ten commandments. So says Martha Miller. That was what her sister used to say when they were children, and when Martha would invent a game for them to play. It would start simply enough, like pretending they were shipwrecked on a deserted island and had to make a camp before it was dark. It was all imaginary play. The island was the Turkish rug in the hall, and the tent was an old sheet pegged over Mum's clothes era. But at some point, Willow would lose interest because Martha would keep devising things they could or could not do, like why Willow's oversized cuddly polar bear couldn't join them on the island. We're not an island in the Antarctic, Martha would point out, helpfully, in her opinion. We're marooned on a tropical island. Polar bears would find it too hot, and they don't eat coconuts, do they? They might if they were given the chance, Willow would say. They had finished eating supper and were loading the dishwasher when Martha was seized with a depressingly familiar cramping sensation in her stomach. It was confirmation, as if she needed it, of what she already knew. It drew a defeated sigh from her, which she immediately tried to cover up by pretending to cough. You all right? asked Tom. A tickle in my throat, she said. She rarely lied to Tom, and when she did, it was usually a white lie to keep a surprise from him, like the time she had organized a secret weekend away in Venice for their first wedding anniversary. Just as she did with everything, she'd planned it down to the last detail, other than factoring in that Tom had planned a surprise of his own. That puts paid to the dinner reservation I'd made for us, he'd said with a laugh when she'd presented him with a card and their flight reservations. But now she found that trying for a baby, what a ghastly phrase that was, had turned her into a wife who regularly sneaked around behind her husband's back. They were only small indiscretions that she committed, like not telling Tom about the pregnancy test kits she bought, or about the baby clothes she had smuggled into the house and 
kept hidden in the wardrobe in the guest bedroom. She couldn't bring herself to share any of this with Tom, for fear of him thinking she was becoming obsessed with having a baby. Because if he suspected that was the case, he might also start to think that was all she cared about, to the exclusion of him. It happened all the time. Couples torn apart through not being able to conceive. She didn't want that to happen to them. They were stronger than that. She was stronger than that. Through sheer force of stubborn tenacity, she would make life bend to her will. She was not her father's daughter for nothing. But she was getting far too ahead of herself. They'd only been trying to get pregnant for ten months. It was no time at all. It was just that she was so used to getting things done, methodically ticking items off her list of things to do. As an inveterate list maker, she liked to start her day with a list of tasks she had to achieve, both at work and at home. It gave her a sense of purpose and achievement. She never actually wrote down the words, make a baby, but it was there in invisible ink, right at the top of every list. Thinking of today's to-do list, she had one other outstanding job to tick off, and that was to speak to her sister. She would need Willow's support if there was to be any chance of convincing their mother that it was time now to consider the future and do the sensible thing. Not that Willow knew the first thing about being sensible, and really Mum wasn't much better either. During the coronavirus pandemic, Martha had nagged her mother constantly to be careful and not risk leaving the house. But Mum had been adamant that she should do her bit to help in her local community. Along with a team of others, she had shopped for the elderly and vulnerable and made sure they were coping with the fear and loneliness of lockdown. Martha had been convinced that her mother would catch the virus just as Tom's poor mother had. Having lost Dad only months before anything was known about the coronavirus, the thought of losing Mum as well would have just been too much to bear. It was the aftermath of that worry that was behind Martha's determination now to make Mum accept that it would be better if she sold Anchor House and moved from West Sussex to be conveniently nearer to her daughters. Especially if there was a grandchild for her to help out with. With Willow on side, there might be a greater chance of convincing Mum that it would be the sensible thing to do.